And a very good morning to you once again. Great to be with you and great to be able to share God's Word with you again. Well, we've had a little break from our Bible narratives over the past few weeks for a number of reasons. One being the reason I'm sitting down right now due to a broken leg. Maybe the lesson to learn is that the maximum weight advisories on ladders are actually there for a reason. But anyway, today we're going to pick up where we left off. Last time we had a look at how Esau gave up his birthright in order to satisfy his immediate lusts. I said he got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. Today we'll be looking at the story in Genesis 27, you can turn there so long, where Esau is deceived by his brother Jacob and mother Rebekah to get his father's blessing. May I remind you that Jacob means one who grasps the heel of someone or the deceiver. Now Genesis 27 is a long reading, so I'm going to just give you a brief background, but I encourage you to follow in the scripture along. One day when he's old and blind, Isaac instructs Esau to catch some game and prepare him a meal so that he may give his eldest son his blessing. Rebecca overhears this and makes a plan to help Jacob deceive his father. Even though Jacob does see the loopholes and half objects, he goes along with the plan. It's important to remember at this stage he's not a little boy. The twins could be up to 70 or 80 years old even at this stage. She prepares a meal and deceptively disguises Jacob, the younger twin, with hairy arms so that he would feel like Esau, and Esau's clothing so that he would smell like Esau. When Jacob presents Isaac with a meal, Isaac, smelling Esau's clothing and feeling the hairy body, proceeds to bless Jacob. I'm reading now from chapter 27, verse 28 and 29. Here comes the blessing. May God give you heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Now Esau returns from his hunting expedition to discover the deception, but it's too late. He cries and performs, but ends up with a secondary blessing, which is actually not too grand. Poor Esau is deceived now at this stage twice by his brother, and again his name Jacob means deceiver. Esau had made some bad choices already by marrying two Hittite women, whom the Bible says were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So we presume Esau is perhaps not the sharpest arrow in the quiver. Poor old Isaac, deceived by his own son and his wife. A tragic story indeed. Now we know that whilst in the womb, the blessing was intended for Jacob. We saw that last time. But the way it was secured was highly deceptive, fraught with lies and skullduggery. Anyway, through Jacob, the Messiah would still come. You see, God's sovereign plans will prevail in spite 
of human interference. And we need to learn that lesson. What God wants to do in our lives, He will do in spite of any COVID-19 or any other human or other interference. What God has decreed, what God has decided for our lives, God will do. Anyway, for the purposes of today, I wanted to share a few lessons with you regarding the story, and in particular, to alert you to deception. To deception. The whole story is about this deception that took place right under the noses, right under the noses of Isaac, under his nose. Never before in the history of the church have we faced such deception as we see it now, just like Isaac experienced with his own family, right there in the family, while he was living and doing and planning and, and going around, the deception was taking place. It's so subtle, you see. If we're not grounded in the truth, we were not going to be able to spot the error. Friends, there are so many huge names in the church right now that are secretly spewing lies and deception. And whether or not it's intentional, intentional, that's not the issue. It's happening. See, when the disciples asked Jesus about the end times, the first thing Jesus said in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 5, is this. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Watch out that no one deceives you. See, the sign, the major sign of the end times is deception. And if we are not aware of the truth, we're not going to be aware of the deception. Just because it looks good and smells good and tastes good doesn't mean it is good. Matthew 24 verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christs, and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. False Christs, false prophets, performing great signs and miracles. Friends, if people were doing that in the name of Satan, you wouldn't listen to them. But people are doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. People are doing it in the name of God. And great portions of, of Christianity are being deceived. There are many other warnings in the scripture about deception. And I believe with all my heart we're in a stage such as that right now. Yes, the end times. How do I know it's the end times? Not because of the wars and the earthquakes and the race riding, rising against or nation against nation, racial group against racial group. Not all of those things. They're all there and they're all legitimate. But how do I know Jesus is coming soon? Because there is more deception right now in the church than there's ever been before. See, the very nature of deception is you don't know you're being deceived unless you know the truth. Many people are willingly deceived because it suits their own fleshy desires when coated in religious terminology. You can be mostly right, but still go to hell. So today, let me give you some lessons to learn about how Isaac 
was deceived from right under his nose. How Esau was deceived. What happened here? And particularly, we're going to be looking at Isaac, the main man, the patriarch of the family. Number one, Isaac was deceived because he ignored God's will. Isaac was deceived because he ignored God's will. See, remember when Rebecca was pregnant with her twins, God told her that the older will serve the younger. Now, Isaac knew this, but because of his personal preference for Esau, he decided to ignore the will of God. Rebecca, trying to assist God in getting his will done, went about it in all the wrong way. If we ignore the will of God, we become susceptible to deception. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to do what? To love the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the word of God. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Friends, if you don't know the truth, you're going to fall to deception. If you ignore the will and the word of God and hope to get the truth from the mouths of human beings, from people who call themselves apostles or prophets or whatever fancy title they give themselves, if we hope to get the truth from the mouths of those people or from the books that they make themselves wealthy on writing or people's personal experiences and, and floaty, airy, fairy tales, we ignore God's word at our own peril. We like to believe those prosperity teachers. See, we like to believe the infant Baptist baptizers. We like to believe these types of people because it appeals to our flesh. Ignore his will and you will be deceived. Oh, the flesh just loves to know I'm going to be wealthy if I do X, Y, and Z. The flesh just no, loves to know or to think I'm saved because I was baptized or anything else that I'm doing. Friends, ignore his word, ignore his will, and you will be part of those who are busy being deceived. Secondly, Isaac was deceived because he was spiritually blind. Isaac was blind. We read that physically he was old and his eyes were so weak he could not see. Interestingly, he was not actually about to die. He, he lived a, another probable 40 years or so after this. Anyway, he was blind. And if we see this blindness as a spiritual metaphor for his physical condition, we understand that he could not see what he was actually doing or not doing. We need to be able to see spiritually. And that basically means 
to see things from God's perspective through the lens of His Word. We are, after all, according to Ephesians 2.6, raised up with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we are no longer under the circumstances. We are above the circumstances. We raised up with Him. We seated with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I often joke when people say, you say, how are they? And they say, well, under the circumstances. No, as believers, we're never under the circumstances. We seated above. That's what it means to be spiritually discerning, to see things from God's perspective. This is not to say we must be able to see the unseen all spooky-like, but just that we are aware that there is more in Him and that His Word is is all prominent. Remember the story about Elisha and his servant who was terrified? And Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes be opened, and then he saw this mighty angelic army surrounding them, that they weren't alone in that battle. This is a lesson to us. If we don't stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not keeping in step with the Spirit, if we're not staying in that place of prayer, we may leave ourselves open to deception. See, our enemy uses many disguises. Those disguises are, are so subtle, we, we don't even know, we can't even recognize them unless we're aware that they're coming. Sometimes they're temptations. Sometimes just subtle thoughts. Sometimes it's got to do with our complexes or our depressions. Maybe difficult circumstances or fancy sounding preachers. But when we're in step with the Spirit, we will see with our spiritual eyes whether that motive or emotion or whatever it is, is from God or not. See, there is no reason for us like Isaac to be blind, to be blind to what's going on around us spiritually. The third lesson we can learn regarding Isaac's deception this morning is that Isaac was deceived because of his stomach. Yes, Isaac was deceived because of his stomach, if you prefer his carnal appetite. The story starts out with Isaac connecting his stomach to handing out the blessing much like Esau did previously with Jacob, seems to be a family, family problem. In verse 4, he said, the Bible says, Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, Isaac speaking, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Sounds like a bit of a drama queen like Esau as well. Give me your bowl of stew, otherwise I'm going to die. You know, as I said, Isaac had another 40 years or so to go. So maybe this, this drama stuff is in, in Isaac's family genes. Uh, it's just amazing here. The lesson that we often want to make decisions based on upon our stomach or our flesh is one that we have to learn when it comes to deception. Our fleshy carnal appetites, and be that just our hunger pangs or our stomach. I mean, when you go grocery shopping, you know. If you go grocery shopping when you're hungry, you buy all sorts of things you never planned to buy. 
So the key is fill up at least on water or something before you go to a shop. <laughs> You're going to save yourself a lot of money. You've heard of the politics of the stomach. People who operate just to keep themselves secure. The gravy train. The reason for all our corruption at present in our own government. And I know it's worldwide as I've said before. Maybe Isaac was the prototype corrupt politician. He thought with his own stomach in mind. So he calls for his favorite meal in order to give his blessing and then die. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice Paul is talking to the Philippian church. He's not talking to those not in the church. He's not talking to the pagans. He's not talking to the so-called unconverted. He's talking to those in the church. He says many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly body, bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Can you see that? That, that the opposites there that Paul's giving these people in the church, either controlled by their stomach or they recognize their citizenship is in heaven, waiting for the Savior who will soon appear. The challenge is this, folks. Keep focused on what counts. Jesus. This earth and all those things that you're wearing yourself out to get or to be or to own, they're all going to pass away as you will, like a board game. You know, these board games we play with our family, Scrabble or Monopoly, and we have tremendous fun times with our family. But at the end of the game, everything goes back into the box and it's packed away. And that's what life is like. We play this game of life, and at the end of the game, it all goes into a box and either gets buried or burned. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That doesn't sound like these prosperity teachers, does it? That doesn't sound like these men and women who rant and rave from the stage about how wealthy they are and how wealthy God wants you to be. The Bible says, my Bible says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. There's so many in the church teaching wealth, 
health, prosperity. And if you don't have these things, you lack faith or you're not doing it right or you're not giving enough or you're not this or you're not doing the next thing. I mean, some of them are even advocating a takeover of the church, of by the church, of all society. No, I mean, that's obviously not scriptural. Jesus said the love of most will grow cold. Don't be blinded. It's not in the Bible. It's quite the opposite, actually. And this deception is based mostly on the stomach. It's on those few individuals at the top of the Ponzi scheme who are getting rich and the rest not. Isaac was deceived because of his stomach. Sugar-coated words from the Bible people use to authenticate what Satan is actually doing. Taking our focus away from Jesus. Putting it onto our flesh. And again, if you know the truth, you can identify the, faith, the fake. Isaac was deceived because of his stomach. Number four, Isaac was deceived because of his emotions. Back in Genesis 25, 28, we read, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, it can't get clearer than that. Each of them had their favorite child, a recipe for disastrous family relationships. Isaac could not see beyond what he could feel. Esau came out first. Esau he loved more. Esau would get the blessing regardless of what God said or regardless of the will of God. He also felt like he was about to die and he eventually died 40 years later. Friends, emotions are God-given and, and are to be experienced. Love and joy and peace, sadness, happiness, all of those. I mean, what greater thing is there to be loved than to love someone? It's just an amazing experience. But these things cannot control us because as they control us, we end up being deceived. For example, there are many, many beautiful songs we sing in church, but sometimes those songs are so full of theological error. For example, there's that song that goes something like this. Draw me close to you, never let me go. I'd lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. And it's just such a, it's just such a beautiful tune, such a wonderful emotional experience. But it just kind of it, it negates the truth. I mean, listen to those words. Draw me close to you. What does the Bible say about drawing me close to you? The Bible says, if you draw near close to me, I'll draw close to you. So that first line of the song is irrelevant, and it's going to throw me into confusion. The next line says, never let me go. Never let me go? When does God ever say he's going to let you go? He said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. Never let me go? What are you singing about? I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. What does the Bible say about being a friend of God? Jesus said, if you, I call you my friends if you do what I command. It's easy. So the first three, four lines of one of the most beautiful songs out has got faulty, damaging, dangerous, hell descending theology. I, I'm never going to believe that I'm 
that he's with me all the time. I'm, I'm going to think he's going to let me go. I, I don't know if I'm his friend or not. I don't know how to be his friend or not. Sing these things over and over and over enough. It settles in my spirit. And then I begin to wonder, how was I deceived? It's through the emotions. Likewise, how often do we say things like, Ah, I feel like God is saying. I feel like. Is he saying it or isn't he? Has he said it or hasn't he said it? Friends, stick to the book. Stick to what the Bible says. And you can't go wrong. Emotions are deceptive or can be deceptive. When we rely upon them, when we believe in them, when we just when we go by them and not what the truth of God's word says. So Isaac, Isaac was deceived. Isaac was deceived right in his own family. And maybe that's our lesson for us this morning. Right in our own family, in our own church family, in the body of Christ worldwide, in our so-called family of God. There is deception today like there has never been before. I remind you, Isaac was deceived because, number one, he ignored God's will. Get to know God's word. Get to know the truth and you won't be deceived. Don't ignore what God has said. Don't try and improve on it. Don't just take the bits you like and ignore the rest. Don't just... Believe those things that itch your ears and, and make you feel good about yourself. Don't ignore God's will. Secondly, Isaac was spiritually blinded. Just keep in step with the Spirit. Hold short account of unforgiveness towards others and sin in your own life. I mean, when you swear at that taxi driver, just get forgiveness from the throne room quickly so that you can move on and you're never out of step with the Spirit. Thirdly, Isaac was deceived because of his stomach. I said, drink water before you go to the grocery store. It will save you some money. I'm telling you, drink deeply from the well of salvation. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Spirit, and you're not going to go and buy all sorts of stuff in your spiritual well-being that you would otherwise do when you're empty. So stay full of the Holy Spirit. And number four, Isaac was deceived because of his emotions. Be careful when you're singing those wonderful choruses. Be careful when you're listening to those lilting preachers. Be careful when you're doing anything, when anything's coming into your mind and into your heart and your spirit. Make sure that it's the Word of God, not a piece of the Word of God, not just the bit that suits the person talking, but the whole counsel of the Word of God. Friends, we're in a time of deception but we don't need to be deceived. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this message this morning. Thank you for alerting us to this fact. And I pray that we would become more and more alert to your word, that we would become more and more based upon what your word tells us, that we would not be led astray by all sorts of fleshy things. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. God willing, we'll meet again next week. Bye-bye. Are you sure I haven't preached this before?